When we sin, we don't naturally want to take responsibility for our actions. We want to blame others or even blame God, but Scripture clearly says that it's our own desires which lead us into sin. In this discussion, Brooks, Josh, and Chris unpack how they went from a place of making excuses when they sinned to a place of brokenness and contrition over their spiritual condition. And they also discuss how the Lord brought them to a place where they were no longer controlled by their desires. All right, guys, good to see you here today. It's good to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, well, I'm a guest just like you, so. (laughs) But um, anyway, I'm looking forward to this interview. We're going to be talking about desire, and that's been the theme throughout this segment, the fact that our desires lead us towards sin, that that's a big part of Babylon and what Satan is using. And I know, I think Luke also spoke uh, on desire and temptation and how that all works together from Scripture. So I wanted to start off by asking you guys, and I'll chip in as well, have you ever personally blamed God for the temptations and sins that you faced rather than taking responsibility? We'll talk about that later, but um, have you found that a tendency in your life to blame God for that, for your sin? Um, For me, honestly, the answer is no, because... When I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I kind of just always knew there was a right and wrong to life. And, you know, when I first started getting into sexual sin, like, I never immediately blamed God. I was just, like, intrigued by the sin, and the further I got into it, you know, it took control of my life. But there was there's not a moment where I could say, man, I Lord, this is your fault. I mean, I felt the death of it. You know, mm-hmm. we felt the death yeah. and I would mourn over that. Like, man, I hate this. You know, I'd, I'd give in and there was never this like point counterpoint like, oh, man, was that something I should have given into? Let's let's talk this over. No, it was always I knew this was wrong, but you know, I never like pointed the finger at him and said, you know, this is this is all your fault because I, I to a degree, you know, I, I guess I kind of knew it was it was me, but. I just couldn't shake it, so I just kind of mourned over the death that it brought into my life. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no. ahead, Chris. I was going to respond just saying that not having grown up in a Christian home, actually with a father who promoted me to sin, literally, by saying, you know, having a passel of women, trying them on. He was a man of the world, so he thought... You know, the world was his playground, so I adopted that idea, saying, okay, he has to be right, he's my dad. Yet I knew in my heart, um, I knew in my heart that what I was doing with women was wrong because we hid it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was the real reason I could tell. This was not something that we wanted to have known. Um, So we knew that we were breaking a law, but our desire for it, was much greater than worrying about the consequences. And so did I ever blame God? I was so angry most of my life, I blamed everybody else for what was going on, whether it was my sin or things happening in my life at work or whatever. I was very quick to blame others, to shift it from myself. So as far as sin came, Josh said, you know, he didn't point at God. I don't 
I don't know that there was a time. All I know was that I looked to everybody else as the reason that I was having problems in my life. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, that blaming mindset. We don't necessarily need a good reason. It's just more almost sometimes an attitude of like, okay, well, it, this isn't my fault. It's, you know, just almost an anger, would you say, towards, oh, yeah. towards the world kind of? Well, self-protective pride is what I found out when I came here that, you know, I needed to have that veneer of acceptability. So it was much easier to push my sin on others or to blame them for whatever was going wrong in my life. It, it kept me in a place of feeling like I was okay, but it didn't last. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back to something you said, Josh, because I can relate it in coming from a Christian background and not being able to, like I couldn't plead ignorance or to say, you know, try to like argue the case for it being God's fault, but um, you mentioned feeling the experience of death. Do you think at any point in that back and forth, going into your sin, coming out of your sin, wrestling through that, that you reacted negatively toward the Lord in that? Or was it just, I wondered if there was any of that mixed in there. Not not negative at him because I, I knew he existed and I was like afraid that he was just going to take away my salvation. There was never an anger towards him. There was a, there was a fear, uh, just a constant fear of just his heavy hand upon me and just disappointing him and stuff. So hmm. no, I wasn't ever like, I was never shaking a fist at him or anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, I, when we talk about this whole thing, I, for, I couldn't say either that I thought it was his fault, but I do think maybe there was a way in which I blamed him because I was, you know, just by nature still can be um, very perfectionistic. And I think in that, subconsciously, I believed at some point that living the Christian life was just too hard or it was impossible. And so I think maybe without verbalizing it, blaming him for making it that way or sort of giving up at some level and just being like, okay, not that I would say I was doing a great job at trying to be a Christian, but but there was just a kind of a churning inside, just such effort being expended, at least in my own head, that I was just like, okay, I don't think I can take this anymore, and I just maybe misunderstood the Christian life and what God was asking of me. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking about that verse, deny yourself and take up the cross, because I heard that preached. You know, we were in a good church, and there was something in me, and this is where I obviously have to take the blame, that I remember thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want that. Hmm. But I think it was probably because I was, in my mind, what that meant was a life of torment. You know, okay, I've just got to deny myself all the time. Now, the, you know, a few years in, I'm sure maybe you guys can relate. It's like that's going to be more and more the source of freedom, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Not that it's ever fun, I guess, but it's becoming more clear that a, that a life of not denying myself is, is torture because then you're just, you know, blown around by your desires. But anyway, yeah, yeah that was what came to me was I think I saw – you know, okay, following Jesus, denying yourself. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want that. And so my sin in a way was, I'm just going to do this because it's too hard to do anything else. So yeah. anything else you guys have to add? I want to move on to One thing when I things would, turned. Yeah. I would add is when I thought I came to the Lord, when I thought I came to the Lord, but I was still in sin, there were times when I do remember saying, you know, why aren't you taking this? I don't want it anymore. You know, help me. They were lame 
prayers because I still loved my sin. And he wouldn't just snap his fingers and, and make it like, I'll go away. But I do remember being very upset that I was praying, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. And yet, as soon as I'd pray that, I'd want to go look at porn, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so there was some anger at that point. You know, aren't you supposed to be my deliverer? Aren't you supposed to be my redeemer? How come you're not helping me? Of course, I had a very wrong view of what that entailed. No surrender. No, no denying. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned praying. I've heard people say, you know, I prayed for years. I, I don't feel like I really did pray that much or at, once I was in my sin. Mm. You know, I, I would confess it and try for a while, but... Some people act like, and maybe they were, like agonizing for months and years. I just, for the most part, was floating downstream with it. So, yeah, I could say I, you know, I, I, I did pray, and maybe there was at a certain level subconsciously, like just the frustration. You know, I read the Bible, read the miracles that were happening, kind of like you, just like, Lord, please take this away. Why is this not going away? So I could see that there, there could be some kind of subtle finger pointing, but it, I guess for me, that'd be more in the background, kind of the blame. So for you, um, then I guess the next point that we're going to go over, which is taking responsibility, yeah, I guess for either kind of person, if they were blaming God or if they weren't, you still have to take responsibility at some point. Mm -hmm. So what, like for you, Josh, what helped you accept that or really look at it more closely? Like, okay, I'm at fault here, and now I need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. I guess what what really helped me, and it's going to sound bad, but like I compared myself with other people. You know, I lived trying to trying to be a good guy, uh, a good boy, and uh, I just noticed that other people were bent towards things that I wasn't like. There were people who were bent towards alcohol or bent towards drugs sure. or bent towards a certain kind of sin where I wasn't. And as I kind of just took a, an inventory, just kind of like, you know, outside of myself, look at my life, you know, the glaring defect was like sexual sin, was pornography. And so doing that actually helped me kind of be like, okay, well, this is, this is my sin. This is, this is what, this is the area that I, that I struggle with. And so that helped me to for lack of a better word, embrace it. <laughs> I think you know what I mean, like mm -hmm. yeah. owning yeah. it, you mm -hmm. know, that this is my desire that I'm going after. Yeah. So. How long was it before you then took significant steps to get out of it? Or did you kind of just stay at that point for a long time? Or Yeah, it wasn't until the program that okay. I realized that's kind of, that that's me, that, that's gotcha. the desire that I, that I go after. So yeah, it wasn't until the program. So I was in that for, man, 12 years from 12 to, 24. I, I think someone's observed here that a lot of people, when they first really are dealing with this, that's when they end up coming here. So you found that to be the case. Was oh, yeah. that, would you say that's the same for you, Chris? Or? Um, when I first started going to church uh, around 42 years old, uh, I had that sin in my life, but I never wanted to talk about it. I mean, it was shaming. I knew it was wrong when I came to the Lord or at least started going to church, heard the gospel constantly. I was at the altar praying and repenting and crying out, but I kept the sin. 
and I didn't see the Lord as my help. I was looking for help from men or from programs, and I would look at a book, not Steve Gallagher's books, but I would look at other books and wonder, you know, okay, I just give me a way. I wanted an avenue of escape. Just show me the program, and I need to get this out of my life, and I'll be okay, because I was teaching kids while being in this sin with another man who was also confessing to me that he had a problem with this. And we'd pray and weep before children's church, but nothing was affected until one day, significantly down the road, probably 15 years into it, uh, I just, the Holy Spirit just lifted me up literally out of my chair during a men's prayer breakfast, and I confessed in front of about 30 guys. Hmm. I mean, I was standing there shaking. And so I was removed from teaching from eldership in the church, and then I got angry because I thought, whoa, I'm confessing, you know, but everything got ripped away that I felt was important and my position, and I was scrubbing doorknobs and light switches, and there was anger toward the Lord, toward my church, toward my pastor. Even though he loved me, I knew he did, but It took me so long, and really, I was thinking it was an external issue. It wasn't me. I never saw me. I saw it as pornography. I saw it as sexual sin. It was a separate issue. Mm. Just clean that up. Cast it away, and I'll be okay. Only when I came here and I realized, oh, this really has been all about me. I am the problem. No, there was no... I didn't want to accept responsibility. I hated accepting responsibility for this. It was shaming. Even coming here to, you know, a place where men in sexual addiction are finding freedom, it was shaming to have to leave my family, and I didn't want it to be about me. So I only think that months into my program was I willing to admit, okay, I am the problem, and there's no other... I cannot deny it any longer. So with this aspect of accepting responsibility, you can see all the time that you weren't willing to do that, and at some point, okay, yes, I need to accept this responsibility. What precipitated that? What prompted you to start finally facing that? Well, I think for me, I mean, I came to that realization in the program but it started before the program because my marriage was in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. So that yes. caused me to um, seek. I'd crossed a line. I had done something that I, you know, was really ashamed for me to do. And I was like, now I, got, I really got to seek, seek some help. So that's what got me into the program. But it was really just being in the atmosphere that just sitting under all of the the teaching, the counsel and stuff that just really helped me to see like what you said, I'm the problem. Yeah. I would have to say very similarly to Josh, I was destroying my marriage. I was screaming at my daughter, 14 years old, um, and she would stand toe to toe with me and argue. So one day I left the house voluntarily and moved away because I was afraid that in my rage, I would lose it, and my wife was in agreement. Uh, So I knew things were quickly dissolving and um, hitting the floor. 
I had a gun to my head. I heard this voice say, you need to go to Kentucky. My pastor had already mentioned it to me about five years before when I confessed. And I think finally showing up here, what got me was the Bible had never been a living document. It had been something I read. It had been a part of what you do when you're in church. Okay, so yes, you read the Word, you memorize some Scripture, but there was no power in my life because I was in sin constantly. But when I finally saw the sacrifice of God, mm-hmm. I, that's what broke me. When I realized he died for my sin, I went to the cross and I just threw out everything that I'd had, everything I thought was important. I just said, okay, I'm giving up. I quit. I'm not going to keep trying to shift the blame. I'm going to accept that I'm the problem, and you're the only answer I have. Hmm. And it was painful. It's still painful just thinking about it. It's painful. But, oh, my goodness, the blessing that came from that. I mean, I experienced a freedom I've never had before. Hmm. (laughs) Fifty years of sin. And he just like, okay, we can deal with this. This is not too hard. And then there came the attendant, uh, well, now we're going to go a little deeper. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about your desires for a lot of things that you never even thought were a sin. So it, yeah, it was really when I went to the cross and I just said, okay, you died for me. It just really hit me here. This atmosphere is so overwhelmingly powerful. The spirit is so intense. You can't avoid it. He just will hedge you in. Mm. And there's nowhere to go. <laughs> and that's why some men run and leave because it becomes so heavy. And that's why others break. And he just broke me. Mm. I just, I let go. It was awesome. <laughs> God is awesome. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Man, that's powerful, Chris. Yeah. I was thinking for me, the you know, it's words that we all know, conviction, repentance. Um, but it because I it's like we were saying before, I did know that my sin was wrong, but I think for me it becoming not just head knowledge, but a heart conviction that I cannot keep going down this road. It took me months in the program to even really to see that I still was drawn to my sin and could go that way. But, you know, when I looked back, it was obvious. It's not like I could ever really deny that it was my choices that led me into my sin Mm -hmm. every step of the way to go deeper and deeper. But you can know that, and I I think probably a lot of men would say, yeah, I always knew it was wrong. But that's different than God speaking it to your heart in a way where you're actually ready to let go. So, yeah, I think that was it was it was that point of conviction for me in a similar way where I knew God was speaking to me. I knew and it and it impacted my heart. Um we talk about breakthroughs sometimes in the program and it's different for each person how that looks. Yeah. You know, we're all different, but I think it, you know, if we're open to that, he can get that message through to us somehow and that's I remember exactly where he did that for me, you know, just in the program in a chapel service, and then afterwards out on the prayer trail just showing me where I really was at, and that it was, you know, I had to turn to him. So, so all right, well, why don't we talk about, you know, then what came after that? After you made that turn, you accepted responsibility, 
and started really facing your sin, what change did you guys experience after that? The Lord made a couple realizations to me through through his word. I had read, and I'm going to quote out of Deuteronomy 7.22, out of a different translation, the Good News translation. Mm. I really love how it says it. This is Moses, and he's talking to the people. And he says, talking about uh, the takeover of the promised land, and he says, little by little, he, or God, the Lord, little by little, he will drive out these nations as you advance. Mm. You will not be able to destroy them all at once. For if you did, the number of wild animals would increase and be a threat to you. Hmm. So like when I read that, you know, we all want the silver bullet. We want yeah. we want it taken care of right away, but the Lord knows that's going to be bad for us. And so hmm. one of the things that uh, the Lord showed me in that was that my Christianity, my Christian walk was an ongoing battle against sin. Uh, and it was just going to be, you know, until Jesus comes back. Basically, you know, Jesus said in Luke 11, he talks about the unclean spirit leaving a man and he comes back and he finds it, you know, swept up and put in order. And, you know, the unclean spirit doesn't see that as something to fear. He goes and he gets seven more worse than him and brings Mm -hmm. it back. And so, you know, when the Lord, if the Lord were to take, take just like all the sin out of my life, it would actually be an opportunity for sin to flourish and pride because pride just naturally comes into that void where we're on a mountaintop or something. We really got to, you know, protect ourselves against pride because it just naturally comes in. Hmm. And that was, that was one thing was that I was going to have to continually battle because my heart is the promised land that God wants. And so that was revolutionizing for me. And And the second thing that the Lord showed me in that verse was that I'm not as good as I thought I was. And then hmm. there was, so many enemies in the land, but that though the Lord showed that to me, it wasn't like he was saying, look at all the wickedness in you. I'm done with you. It was, I want your heart. Mm-hmm. As you advance, yeah. I want to take those things out. And to quote Gandalf, that is an encouraging thought. So that was very <laughs> encouraging to me to, to realize that the Lord wanted my heart. He wanted the promised land, just had to continually battle all the sinful inclinations in my heart. Hmm. Yeah, that I don't know why that's I mean it's resonates with what I find myself going through that there's this process that we don't understand why it should have to be a process, but it is. And it's almost like you said it's the best way because if he did it all at once it would it would overwhelm us. Yeah. We wouldn't be really prepared to walk in that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that is that's really encouraging. Anything you want to add? Well, yeah, I think the first <laughs> One of the first things I experienced when I realized that the Lord had forgiven me was an incredible relief, uh, a weight, a burden that I had been carrying, taken from my shoulders. The understanding that he bore it all was a huge... I mean, I'd read that how many times, but it never clicked in my heart. It was Mm -hmm. a head knowledge issue before Mm -hmm. coming here. I'd say what he was really focused on, though, from that point on, and through my counselor, uh, was the incredible selfishness that I had in my life, my whole life. Everything was focused on what I wanted, what I needed. But the idols of the heart 
series that I listened to really drove it home how I had created my wife and daughter as an idol, my home as an idol, my job as an idol, everything. We were talking about those enemies in the land. Um, they were everywhere, prolific, strong, uh, greater than anything that I had ever imagined before. And it took, as you said, sanctification is a process. Thank God. Uh, you know, Okay, I'm going to give this to you, Lord, and then I'm going to pick it back up again. And then the next day, I'm going to give it to you again now. I see I don't need this. But it, it's a process. I still deal with idols in my heart. Um, the thing that the Lord has done, though, the overwhelming issue is when the verse says that I am accepted in the beloved mm. and understanding that even with all my failures, I am not condemned because he's given us that gift of repentance. And when I am quick to repent and see the sin in my heart, I know he forgives me. You know, First John, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And one of the verses that hammered me was one of Pastor Ed's life verses that he mentions repeatedly, and and it is the process of sanctification as far as I can see it, which is from Job 16, 14, which says in the NKJV, it says, he breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a warrior. And that's that daily, the small wounding he has to give. My counselor said, it may hurt, but he will never harm you. And so, yes, there is a painful process that we go through of letting go of the deeper issues that God is really after, which we don't see when we're in the world at all because we're blind. Yeah. But yes, it is an ongoing process of sanctification that pulls at our heart, and there is that breaking, that the humility that's required to accept this from God. Otherwise, I'll fight in my flesh every time he asks me to give him something. I really want that. Well, yes, but I don't want you to have it. But it's not sinful. Yeah, but it's not what I want for you. And so I'll argue with him about those things until I finally surrender. And that's a difficult thing for me. I don't like to let go. I don't like to give in. Yeah, again, it's comforting to me to know that God is okay with that process, and that still takes me a while to realize that, that we are accepted, that this is going to take time, because he knows that it's, and this was the thing that came to me about the change process, is it's going to take those interactions with him. It has to be that way. We can't do this all mm -hmm. ourselves, but when we repent, when we respond to conviction, he, he does something. It's not just, okay, I'm checking boxes. It's he's mm -hmm. coming in, he's changing our hearts, he's saying something to us inside of us that's changing us. I don't know, I can't really put it into words, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Those inner, yeah. You can probably look back over your whole period of being here and just there's those moments and things that he showed you. You know, I can. And they're not, you know, it's not a lot of them. It's like there's certain ones that mm -hmm. really have changed me, and I need that still. And and to a large degree, he's in, in charge of that, but I guess we open ourselves up to that when we mm -hmm. take responsibility and we start relating to him. So yeah. that was kind of what hit me. But let's get into some of what Pastor Steve was talking about that gives us a way out of temptation and desire for sin. And he mentioned two things in particular, uh, having a devotional life 
and limiting our exposure to the world. So let's start with the devotional life. Can you guys talk about your devotional life and how you have found that it helps you in controlling sinful desires? Sure. Um, I never really had a devotional life before coming to PLM, nothing that was steady. I would read the Bible every day, but usually before I went to work in the morning. But I'd throw it on the table, did my duty, go out, come back, sin, whatever. It it wasn't changing me. Um, when the Word came alive to me here, when God finally opened that up and He said, you know, this is really good for you, and I started to take it in, um, my devotional life became absolutely crucial. Um, in fact, I was getting up, I worked at Leslie's, I was getting up at 3, I was reading for an hour, I was praying for an hour, and then we'd run off to work. The difference it made was simply I was armoring up without knowing it. Mm-hmm. I would go out into the world, I would you know, go to Leslie's, my will would be crossed 150 times a day, <laughs> but I had the armor of God. Yeah. And so, yeah, through a series of circumstances when I was shown how proud I was and resistant, you know, I just started saying, okay, Lord, I repent. I'm going to pray mercy on these people. But when I'd come back to PLM, it was refreshing. I was coming home. There was this feeling of, ah, I'm not in the world anymore. And I'd run back to the word and there was grace in it for getting my feet dirty in the world. The word was washing me. And, and I desired to memorize scripture, not for head knowledge, but to have it ready when temptation hit. And so I made it a point to try and memorize Scripture, and God helped me. I asked him, I said, I want to hide my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's, you, that's what you told me, and I'm going to take that as fact, and I need you to help me. And so he has. And when I wake up at 2 in the morning, and I could let my mind wander into areas that are not good and sinful. Instead, now I have this in my mind. I can start just reciting Scripture, and the difference is amazing. Before, I would just give in to lust. Hmm. I would just say, well, you know, what difference is it? Now I no longer want to sin against you. Hmm. Now, because of the love you have for me and my desire to please you, you know, the devotional life is everything. The prayer life, I, have a, I struggle with prayer. I can pray for 20, 25 minutes, but, you know, again, it's my selfishness that keeps me from wanting to intercede for others. So sometimes I have to force myself to say, okay, this is ridiculous, Lord. There are so many people hurting. Let's just raise them up to you a little. Yeah. And, and so I do. And it, it's sometimes difficult. Yeah. Um, but... He takes me through it. I just say, Lord, help. Lord, help. I got to pray. And he brings people to mind and things. So, yeah, the devotional life. And it's required by staff members for sure. And Pastor Steve is constantly saying we need to get into the Word, and I'm thankful for that. And not just surface read it, but read it with intentionality and, you know, parse it out and look at it. Um, I like that. Good. I'm thankful for that. Well, before before coming here, uh, again, growing up in a Christian home, I would read the Bible, and it was 
it was basically, I was using it as a way to just kind of not minimize the sin, but control the sin. So there was like this fearful thing. Okay, if I don't do this, then God's just going to wipe me off the face of the planet. Um, but then I came here and then I like truly repented. Hmm. And when I repented, there was this, I mean, I felt like this weight was taken off. I think you had said something like that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Weight was taken off. Just this like mm-hmm. renewing, uh, resurrection, rejuvenate, whatever, whatever re word you want to use. It's just new life came into me. And I mean, I, I think of those, uh, those guys in the gospels where Jesus healed them and they were blind and they're seeing for like the first time you, you wonder what that was like for them. I mean, just the colors, the people's faces, yeah. animals, all that. I mean, just newness, just brand new stuff. And that's wow. kind of how it was for me when I, you know, truly repented. And when I met God at the other end of repentance, everything, I saw God in everything and I was seeing everything new and just like smelling everything new. I mean, it was just <laughs> like, man, yeah, just a new life. And yeah. so when I went to the, went to the word, there was life there, <laughs> you know, and we hear it often, you guys know, like we read the same verse over and over, or we read a verse that we've, that we've known from childhood and something new is there. It's, mm-hmm. We feel the spirit in it and it's just... It was just amazing. And so, like what you were saying uh, about you, you come into the program and you have your your scheduled time to, to read and stuff. So it was, I don't know what it was when you came in. It was 15 minutes of scripture, 15 minutes of prayer. That was hard at first for me coming in. But then again, when I repented, it was like, I wanted to do this more. Um, and so it just gradually would increase. I wasn't even counseled to do it. I just found myself reading the word more Amen. and praying more. And all all of that was just like, you know, how I got into my sin. It was like initially that that little taste of it. I loved mm-hmm. it. And so I just kept going after it and kept going after it, kept going after it. And that became my life. Well, when I got into the word and there was life there and I loved it and I prayed and I was uh, seeking the Lord and I felt his life in that, I wanted more and more and more of it. And to make another Lord of the Rings reference, Smeagol, you know, he went, he found the ring, he got it. And what happened to him after centuries? He became this ugly, hideous creature who just, that was his precious was this ring. And you quoted what I was going to quote from Psalm 119 about hiding the Lord's word in your heart. Um, The NAS uh, says treasured your word in my heart. And I love that because, Mm. you know, on the opposite end, Gollum, he treasured the ring, but you know, what do I look like when I treasure the Lord, when I treasure his word and pray, mm-hmm. you know, totally different from, from a Gollum creature than what I was before I was Smeagol. I was Gollum before the program, but afterwards, I mean, that, that alone, just getting into the word and not only, not only having a devotional time before the program I'd, I'd heard in church, do you have a devotional time? And you know, that, that kind of mentality kind of fits with the American assembly line of mm-hmm. men- mentality of life. Okay, got this thing done, move on. Move yeah. on to pleasure or whatever, entertainment or sure. life, work, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I took that concept and expanded, not just a devotional time, but devotional life. life. Hmm. And so like in my spare time, listening to sermons, listening to worship music, you know, putting God in my life, hmm. you know, and other things, you know, mm-hmm. How does this situation, how does this interaction with my wife or my kids, how can I glorify the Lord in this? How can I devote this time 
to the Lord. And so that has helped me just constantly thinking of the Lord has just helped me control those sinful desires. I wouldn't even say control the sinful desires. It's like pushing the desires out of my life. Yeah, you bring up a good point that our desires shape us. And I hadn't thought of it exactly from that angle, but I also have could say without hesitation that I, I could not go without this devotional time every day yeah. because it's it's a refuge, it's a safe haven. It's you know, sometimes the temptation towards whether it is lust, but even just darkness depression, you know, it can happen in the first moments of the day. If I wasn't going to the Lord, I just, it would be, it's like a hurricane, you know, just be overwhelming. So yeah, it's, it is essential. And um, I think that leads us right into the other aspect, which is uh, resisting the pull of the world, uh, not eliminating maybe, because I don't think we can fully do that, but trying to minimize our involvement with the world. Can you guys talk about that? It's hard to it's hard to answer that question and not repeat <laughs> some of the things that right. I've, I've already said. Um, I'll just say, like, you know, there are innocuous pleasures in this life that are okay. You know, sit down, watch a movie, go to a baseball game or something. You know, those are those are okay, but it's like not letting those things control you. I mean, it's like self governing. You know, constantly being aware of, okay, what are my thoughts going to? What am I constantly thinking about? And just limiting its influence on my mind really mm-hmm. is kind of kind of what helps me. And I, I think of what John the Baptist said. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. And when I read that, to me, the emphasis is not so much on my decreasing, mm. but it's him increasing. Mm-hmm. And so... Pastor Steve had said in the first episode of this whole series, he was studying in Revelation, and the Lord previously had told him to to get rid of their TV. So his words, if I'm quoting it right, he said, removing myself from the brash voice of the world basically just helped him to hear from the Lord and be able to study Revelation. Well, coming here, being away from the world for, uh, for, at the time, six months, and then going home implementing the things that I learned here, being away from the world of my own home, all of that, removing myself from the brash voice, removing myself from worldly influences, helped me hear the Lord more, helped me see where can I um, invest into somebody else's life? How can the Lord increase in my life? And so um, just doing that alone, I mean, really put limits on selfish desires because I wasn't, again, those things were pushing the selfish or sinful desires just, just out of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I go back to it being a process because I just know I was such a, an idolater before, like what you said. Um, just the, it could be the everyday pleasures of life. It could be sexual sin. It could be other things that I just totally focused in on, but yeah, the reality is we're just, you know, the Lord has taken us, not to our own credit, really. It's A lot of it, it's been, it's been a blessing to live here, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of those parameters are built in. But as we've chosen to submit to that, I think we all can testify the Lord has, you know, lessened the pull of those things. It's not like we don't have any of those things in our life, and we still can see that our heart can be drawn away. 
But I know that he has, over time, for all of us, you know, taken us from being idolaters, worshipers of other things, and he's making us worshipers of him. And um, I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot more peace and a lot more calm yes. in my soul, because although I ha- was getting everything I wanted in one sense before, it was just turmoil, constant turmoil, constant unrest, constantly moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thankful. It is... It is a process, and it is still going on, but I'm, I'm thankful for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have to say being uh, at PLM has been such an incredible change and a blessing because my natural tendency is to want to go and pursue things in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wanted to be something, be known as something. That's the pride in my life, the, uh, the desire to exalt self when the last shall be first. <laughs> and we're learning humility here, and we're learning about letting go of those things. So along with what Josh was saying about a devotional life, not a devotional time, I'd have to agree 100% that um, I still have to consciously make a decision not to want to spend an hour and a half looking at sports on the internet or Mm -hmm. just shopping for things that I really don't need. But uh, I used to waste time doing that. It was just a waste of time. Um, The Lord is very quick, and I think the environment we're in is also very quick to say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about me? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about me. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, yes, I, I am so thankful that we have this lifestyle embedded in this place that helps us to deny this, the flesh. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's wonderful. And um, I think about our students that go back out into the world and what they're facing and you know they have nine months to literally create an environment within their life that puts God at the forefront. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think about them, and I'm in touch with many of my former students who are out there, and they are struggling. The the cares of life, the the worries, talking about the the good soils, and they have to fight against the desire to just be swept along by the culture once again. Um, we're blessed that we are separate from the culture, not in a monastic sense, but in the sense that, yes, we see what is out there, we see its influence, we know how bad it is, and we can say, no, there is something that we have which is much better, and I am not going to allow the enemy to drag me back into that desire, even though it's not sinful to look at sports. It's not sinful to go on Amazon and, and buy a product, but to understand that God comes first, and, and, and in this atmosphere, he pervades it so completely. We are so blessed in that way. Uh, yeah, I'm just very thankful that we have brothers around who will pray when the tug of the world becomes too hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm 
by desire. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be done, you know, yeah. and God is taking us there. He can do that for, it's not just at PLM. He can do that for anyone, and, and, and he's going to keep taking us further along. Did you have something to add? Yeah, I actually wanted to I wanted to say one other thing about, you know, just when we limit the worldly influences, you had said something about um, there's peace, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it reminded me of where Paul says, a mind set on the flesh is death, but a mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Mm-hmm. And what does the world do? The world just agitates our flesh. It just bright lights, loud noise, just anything to kind of work you up into some kind of like fleshly frenzy of mm-hmm. just thinking about yourself whereas it's completely opposite with with the spirit and and limiting all that stuff getting into the word you know we reap we reap what we sow mm-hmm. and i was thinking just as we just personally you know as i and we limit the worldly exposure we're, and we fill that void with uh sowing to the spirit there's that mm-hmm. life and peace there and yeah. um anybody that that does that Anybody that sows to the Spirit is going to reap that life and peace. Um, And being in the program is like the best place to do that. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, check out episode 499, Babylon, the Realm of Desire, to listen to more about this topic. And be sure to join us next time as we look at how pride is closely connected with worldliness. Worldliness.